Your American Heritage. My name is Ed Bondarenka, and I'm an endangered species. I'm a Christian white male. My pronouns are thee and thou, and I am. Not your normal fluffy insurrectionist. Because fluffy is passe. Fluffy's not going to cut it anymore. Working the board and the phone lines is Derek Stone. Now, I'll tell you the phone line number right now is 734-822-1600. Don't call right away, okay? Give it a break. And uh, we'll talk to you as soon as we're done talking to our guest and some of the topics get established. Thanks. As to Derek again, like I was saying, he's working the, the uh, phones and he also hosts, hosts Stone Cold Sports Sundays at noon 30, right after my friend Sean Todd, the Rock and Rev. On the intersection at noon, it's not your normal fluffy Christian show. So before I was start, I was talking to my friend Jake Poplar and he suggested that we are being cloward pivoned. And I replied, yeah, it makes sense. They're flooding the zone. Ukraine's under fire. Truckers and little old ladies in Ottawa are under fire from Castro's. This is a technical term. Okay, I should say illegitimate, son. Never mind. Illegals are flooding into the country. You know that. When I look for a topic for this show, I try not to respond to the immediate news. You got Tucker Carlson, Steve Gruber, Maria Bartiroma. You got all these people to listen to. You've got all your own sources. For that. You got Facebook. <laughs> I've only got an hour, so I want to explore topics that are current yet go deeper with explanations of motives and background. So having said that, thanks for joining us. It's day 395 of the coup, the theft of the American government by enemies both foreign and domestic. They want you to bow down and worship Caesar to make the government your God, your provider. A government not for the people or by the people, but by theft of an election. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness. This is spiritual warfare, good versus evil. If you do not believe that the Biden regime is evil and in your face about it, check out who was appointed to be the Deputy Secretary of Health and Human Services, Rachel Levine, a guy who wears a dress in public. Check out who was appointed to be in charge of nuclear waste in this country, a pervert who dresses like a woman or a dog in public and is proud of it. It used to be you had to be sane to get a position of responsibility like that. And then there's the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, who took off a few months in the middle of a national crisis that was in his portfolio, the supply chain fiasco. He did all that to take paternity or maternity, I'm not sure which, to leave, you know, paternity or maternity leave with his male partner while they adopt twins. Now, maybe if he'd had a cesarean, it would have been more acceptable or appropriate. Now, I mentioned Pete Buttigieg because we're gonna be talking about him shortly. Psalm 144, blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take refuge. So clasp your hands and your fingers together Bow your heads and let's go to war. Father, thank you for this country that you have placed us in. Help us to protect and preserve this gift that you have given us. Please lead us and guide us today and in the days to come. Please restore the prisoners in DC to their freedom. 
Please protect the truck drivers and their support from harm. Please continue to awaken the American people from their slumber, those that are not aware of the danger. And please help us to retake the government from the traitors and criminals that have stolen it. Please move mightily and either bring these oppressors to a place of repentance or imprisonment. I ask you to protect this nation, deliver us from oppressors, remove from power those who, are th who threaten our livelihood and income, those who would rob from us and our children both by excess taxation and inflation, those who would imprison and assault us for opposing, for speaking out against our evil totalitarian plans for this nation. I ask that if they will not repent, that you will destroy them and protect us. Amen. Well, I think I heard my dog barking in the background, but I hope nobody else did. This Pete Buttigieg just recently announced that he wants to eliminate all traffic deaths in America. I wonder if he envisions lockdowns to do that. Or hey, here's an idea, reduce the national speed limit to 55. That's never been tried before. Ben Franklin said those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Let's face it, if this administration was interested in driving down the number of fatalities, perhaps it would not encourage or demand that people take a vaccine that has been demonstrated through the government's own VAERS system, uh, the vaccine uh, of, uh, response system that's supposed to, all the doctors and nurses are supposed to put in uh, related deaths to the vaccine. Well, that's been notoriously undercounting these events. Well, perhaps they would not promote these vaccines or they wouldn't incentivize or allow hospitals to kill people. There's a thought. So I was listening to Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson's second opinion hearing, a panel discussion with a group of world-renowned doctors and medical experts. And I heard a question posed to Dr. Christina Parks, who is not a white person, about the disparity of support for the black community regarding COVID. Surprisingly, Dr. Parks announced that her father had died just a few days earlier, not of COVID, but of treatment for COVID. Listen to Dr. Parks. And the mortalities all happen in the hospital. Are African-Americans, are they denied early treatment in the community? Well, yes, they are. My dad just died, right? He died Friday. Couldn't get a test, couldn't get monoclonal antibodies. We treated him at home. Unfortunately, we had an oxygen machine that didn't work. So he, his blood saturation went down to the point where he was incoherent. We called the EMS. They said, your problem is your oxygen machine doesn't work. They put oxygen on him. He went to 98% saturation. We moved him to the hospital. He recovered all his cognitive functions. He was doing quite well, but he was no longer getting medications that reduce his inflammation. He was no longer getting medications that um, blocked the histamine response. He was no longer getting the medications that he needed, and he was no longer getting um, uh, you know, um, lung steroids. And uh, he just declined and declined and declined until he passed away on Friday. And I say he passed away from lack of appropriate care. Yeah, thank did, you. Did, did you have no right to insist that your father was treated as a as a practicing physician? I'm not. A, I'm not a physician. I'm a PhD. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. So, but, but you had no right as a family member. No, they said these are our protocols, and this is all we'll do. I mean, we asked for those things specifically. I mean, in my father's case, things went fairly quickly. First, they told us we'll send him home tomorrow with oxygen. Then they changed their story. 
And, you know, and we asked for particular medications and they said those weren't part of those pro their protocol. They could not give them to us. Well, we are, we are deeply sorry and even more deeply sorry the fact that yours isn't the only story I've heard like that. I've heard countless stories. But Dr. McCulloch. There, there may be 800,000 stories like this. 800,000 stories. One of them you're going to hear today. My guest is nodding her head as she listens to this. There are a few weeks ago, I played audio of a doctor detailing COVID payments to hospitals for treatment. For the life of me, I cannot find that video. I can't find the audio clip. Makes me wonder if I dreamed it. And I can't find it now. And videos are being banned. These two guys, two doctors also spoke up and they did a video and it's been removed. But doctors Dan Erickson and Dr. Artin Masihi of Accelerated Urgent Care, they're the owners of that facility, said, quote, Hospital administrators might well want to see COVID-19 attached to a discharge summary or a death certificate. Why? Because it's a straightforward garden variety pneumonia that a person is admitted to the hospital for if they're Medicare. Typically, the diagnosis-related group lump sum payment would be $5,000, said Jensen, whose claim was fact-checked by USA Today. But if it's COVID-19 pneumonia, then it's $13,000. And if that COVID-19 pneumonia patient ends up on a ventilator, bingo, he did not use the word bingo, it goes up to $39,000. So today we're talking to Stacy Ogranisek, whose husband Ryan was admitted to a Beaumont hospital with COVID. Hi, Stacy. Tell us something about your husband, Ryan. Oh, uh, well, <clears throat> me and him are high school sweethearts. Uh, we met when we were just 15 years old in a private Christian school um, and been uh, together 25 years and married 13 out of that. And uh, I made the worst mistake of my life when I thought that he would be able to refuse remdesivir <clears throat> and refuse a vent and they would honor that if he went to the hospital uh, just to maybe get a steroid and some oxygen to help him feel so, better. So let's back up a little. So obviously he got COVID. Um, well, he had pneumonia and he went in for pneumonia and they turned it into a COVID pneumonia. I see. Okay, so he was never diagnosed as COVID. Uh, at least not prior, no, no. Okay, but then they managed to find that he had COVID once he was in there. At least that's what they said, yep. yep. Okay, so how long, how long was Ryan... Well, tell us about the progression of treatment of Ryan. Do you want to name the hospital? Um, well, it was the Beaumont Beaumont Hospital in uh, Dearborn that we put him, that we uh, took him to. Uh, he, I went to the emergency because he was feeling a little bit of tightness in his chest. Uh, it wasn't horrible, but enough where he was a little concerned. Where I thought maybe if I go there, they'll give me a little bit of oxygen, maybe a steroid, and then send me home uh, with some meds. Uh, and I was scared knowing what protocols were doing to patients. So I told him, make sure you say no to remdesivir, um, make sure that you say no to a vent. And I said, because if they go in there and they slap the word COVID on this, I might not be able to get you back out. Um, and I told him, uh, you know, how many stories I have heard and uh, other people trying to fight to get their loved ones out. So I had him prepared as he went in. Uh, even texted him to spell remdesivir so he knew what to watch for and make sure that they didn't give it to him. And he went into the ER and uh, they would not let me go in with him. 
Uh, he was there for a week, and uh, he'd, they started to tell me that they were watching his kidney closely. And that concerned me because I knew that remdesivir is known to cause kidney failure. Uh, so I right away started asking, did he get remdesivir? And nobody would give me any answers. They kept giving me the runaround and saying that we don't have his chart in front of us. It's not in the chart. We need to talk to a doctor. The nurses are in you know, isolation. They can't talk right now. Anything. It uh, wasn't until closer to when they had vented him that I finally called again and asked uh, to a different nurse that never talked to me before. I worded it like I was more interested in him getting remdesivir. So I worded it as, you know, hey, I heard about this drug called remdesivir that's been helping COVID patients. Uh, do you know if he was given that? Is that an option? And she's like, oh, let me look at his chart. And then she's like, oh, yeah, he, he was given that as soon as he came in. As soon as. Yeah. Now, it's always been my understanding and probably wrongly so. This is the first time I've heard the story told like this. Um, that somebody would get, you know, really deathly sick and then they'd go into the hospital. And of course, the spouse, family member cannot go in because COVID restraints. And then this person can't speak for themselves. But you're telling me that when Ryan went in, he had already said he did not want remdesivir? Yeah, that's what he told me. He told me he said he did not want it, told them no. Uh, I had even called down there and said, put it in his charts that we do not want remdesivir given because I had known how bad it was and I didn't want him to have it. Have you sought legal counsel along these lines? Uh, we're in the process of trying to find that. Yeah, I'm working with some attorney. Okay, so you have an attorney in mind because I've got somebody in mind <laughs> myself. <laughs> oh, good. So, yeah. And um, I think most of my audience knows who I'm talking about, Great Lakes uh, Justice Center or uh, uh, Common Legal uh, Group in, in Lansing. Uh, great people. And uh, and certainly not advertisers on this show because I don't take <laughs> advertisers. I'm not having any advertisers tell me what I can say and can't say. So, um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like if, if, you, if your husband specifically said, do not do this, then, and they did that, Man, that's just, but that's what we have courts for. And we'll have to see how that works out. I'm not a, you know, a, uh, an attorney and didn't even sleep at a Holiday Inn Express last night. So I got nothing. So what did you think? I saw your face as you were listening to Dr. Christina Parks give her testimony. Uh, I hope that wasn't hurtful for you to have to hear somebody else go through that. Uh, I've heard so many people going through this, um, even prior to my husband going in to even more so after his story. Uh, I have people reaching out to me all the time telling me that they had a loved one go through the same thing or something similar. Uh, we had, um, as soon as like a week was up, they began even pushing a ventilator on him. Uh, and he kept saying, no, I don't want it. I don't need it. Uh, he kept telling them that he felt fine. He didn't know why they were pushing the vent. And I told him, that's just protocol, Ryan. You have to say no. Make sure you sign yourself out. Uh, and I had a doctor call me at the time that I had known that my husband's pulse ox was at 98%, uh, which is normal. Uh, mm -hmm. He, uh, The doctor had called me right at that time and told me that he had told my husband that we are going to vent him with or without his consent. When I told him, I think that's illegal. He hung up on me. And the next time I was able to get a hold of anyone, 
he had called me close to seven o'clock at night and had told me that he vented my husband two hours ago. Perhaps, now I'm not making light of the situation. You'll have to excuse me. I, I get kind of humorous at times, all right? Perhaps if you'd have made a counteroffer of above $39,000 right. so they wouldn't put him on the vent, right? Right. I mean, they, they stand to make money to do this. It's, it's obvious. So oh, the heck with, you know, people's feelings and their hurts. So I've heard, and it's sad. I've, I've been on Facebook and I have a number of friends, most of whom I've never met in my life, but <laughs> I have a number of friends and I, I see these tragedies occur where pray for my husband and I'll pray for everyone I see. Pray for my husband, pray for my wife. They're in the hospital, they're on a ventilator. I've seen it on blogs, friends of mine on the internet. And I feel so sad because there's basically, you know, once they're in the grip of the hospital, unless they get a lawyer and that lawyer uh, goes to a judge and a judge is sympathetic to your cause, then you're stuck, you're at, in their hands. now. You were going to tell us about your approach, but I remember reading a few weeks ago about an Asian gentleman. I think he was in Florida and he was uh, put on a ventilator. He was in the same situation your husband was and the family went to court and they got a court order and he got ivermectin. Now, when Dr. Christina Parks was talking about the certain drugs, she did not use the word ivermectin, but it's obvious that's what we're talking about. She uh, rather, doctor, uh, doctor, uh, they got a doctor who prescribed the ivermectin by court order and the guy was out of the hospital the very next day. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to some of my guests about this very same thing. In the past, it's almost like we see these, we see these testimonies of the effectiveness of these drugs and like this old skit on on um, Saturday Night Live with Steve Martin uh, or Theodoric of York, where he's a barber, a surgeon who's a bloodletter. And at the end, he has a soliloquy where he goes, perhaps someday we'll learn. Perhaps someday we'll watch the evidence and we'll look for patterns. And then at the end, he goes, nah. You know, it's like they're totally ignoring scientific evidence. It's like, you used to see in the movies, heroic doctors, we're going to try this. I just thought of something mm -hmm. and they try something. I heard of something and all of a sudden the patient saved. And now it's like, no, we don't want to do that because we won't make money. And that's mm -hmm. the only way I can figure this. I mean, what else, what else would override this concern for somebody's life? So, mm -hmm. and there, you know, you, we heard uh, um, the person, a uh, doctor who's, I think it was Ron Johnson, who was speaking to Dr. Parks, he said there's like 800,000 cases like this. So tell us a little bit more about how this went on with Ryan while he was in the hospital. Um, well, as soon as I had found out that they gave him remdesivir and I knew the vet was coming, I was already trying to hunt down some attorneys to fight for him to try ivermectin. Uh, and I went to court and uh, it's over in Wayne County Court and they, the judge did not rule in our favor. He decided to let the doctors make the decision what was best and would, he um, wouldn't let us appeal 
wouldn't hear from my husband's doctor, wouldn't hear from me. It was just done. So I had to become my best own attorney, more or less. And Mm -hmm. uh, I would sit in his room with him and nurses would come in and I would ask them, what is he being given that's going to help him get off this vent? Because I would literally look at what they're giving him daily. And, you know, I'm seeing like saline, uh, his blood pressure meds, uh, dialysis now from the kidneys being uh, failed. Uh, and then um, his steroids, which is a low-dose steroid given every 12 hours. I'm asthmatic, and I take more than a 6-milligram steroid like every 4 hours if I'm severe. Uh, here they're giving him a 6-milligram steroid every 12 hours. And I'm like, what is this going to do? What is he getting that's going to help him get better? And the nurse told me, well, nothing. And I said, well, then how come we're not trying other things? And they had told me that their hands are tied because of politics controlling the healthcare system and that they're not allowed to do anything outside of protocol or they'll lose their jobs. And I had another doctor come in and tell me the same thing. He told me that he would give his own child ivermectin if, um, if it was them. He believed it would help my husband. And he said, though, because of politics controlling the healthcare system, that his hands are tied and he had to think of his livelihood and his paycheck first. And he said that right in the room with my husband listening. And so I looked at him and said, you know, this Christmas, I want you when you're with your family to picture me beside my livelihood, begging you who took an oath of do no harm to save his life and do something that will help him. And I told him that, um, you know, most people come into healthcare to save lives, not earn a paycheck, but now I knew where he stood. And I told him that he's going to have to stand before God one day and know that he said that his paycheck was more important than a human life. And that's what he took an oath to do was to save human lives. Um, And I told him that God's going to hold him accountable one day for that. And uh, I started to uh, try to get the nurses that were behind him to stop, stop what they're doing. They also took an oath of do no harm, that they need to rise up and start saying things, go to the media, whatever they got to do. But they're also compliant. Exactly. I mean, we are seeing people, uh, they're called truckers in Canada, and they've taken a number of days off, weeks off, um, and they've suffered financial harm in protesting for theirs and other person's rights. And a number of these truckers have been vaccinated, but they're just standing up for the right thing. And now we're finding that doctors will not stand up for the right thing. This is This is very sad. I mean, on a personal note, I had a personal doctor. I went to see him about my knee last, a year ago, January. And when I talked to him, I got 45 minutes of lecture about getting the jab before he ever asked to look at my knee. And I talked to my wife at one point and she said, why are you pushing this? And at the time it was the flu vaccine. Why are you pushing this vaccine on me? Do you do you get paid to do this? Or are you under, are you under pressure? And he's a Beaumont doctor, but he's in his own private um, practice, which I thought I, I I would benefit from having a doctor in private practice instead of one of these group clinics that all doctors seem to be in now. And uh, I, not really, you know, it's just, it's, it's sad what's happened to these people that we are entrusting our lives with. I'm, I'm frankly afraid to go find another doctor. I can't, my first question is, where do you stand on ivermectin? And I'm afraid I'm going to hear something like, you know, this doctor told you, I've got a livelihood. I've got to take care of my family. So um, we have one minute left there, Derek. Thank you very much. Before commercial break, 
And uh, I'd like you to stay over and tell us the rest of the story. And I'm, I didn't mean it as a cliffhanger, but folks, you'll want to stay over <laughs> past the commercials, the second half of the story. Listen to my guest, Stacey Ogransik, um, speak about what happened to her husband and what she hopes to do about this. So thanks for joining us and come on back in a few minutes. to be courageous we were made to lead the way we could be the generation that finally breaks the chains we were made to be courageous we were made to be courageous we were warriors on the front lines standing unafraid well, thanks, folks, for first tuning in and then coming back to Your American Heritage this Saturday afternoon. I'm talking today with Stacey Grancic. If you were listening to the first half of the show, you'd know all this. And so why am I repeating myself? But you may be tuning in late. Well, I don't know why you'd want to do that either. So Stacy is telling us about the events leading up to the, the untimely death of her husband, Ryan. And uh, Ryan was uh, diagnosed with pneumonia and then put in the hospital and then diagnosed with COVID, which was kind of convenient, and then treated, um, as you probably heard, he was vented. And um, Stacy, why don't you continue telling the story? Um, so yeah, after uh, that doctor had told me that he had to think of his livelihood and paycheck first, uh, the next day, I had a ad hospital administrator come into the room with a police officer to ask me to go into a back room. And so I went into the lobby, to, in their back lobby of that, that hallway, uh, to sit down and talk with the administrator and police officer. And the administrator told me that she didn't like my attitude in the hospital. And when I asked her to tell me what that meant, she told me that um, I had a conversation with the doctor yesterday that they had heard about. And I said, so you mean the doctor who had told me he had to think of his livelihood, livelihood and paycheck over the life of my husband? I said, what attitude would you have had? And she got quiet and took some notes. And then she changed it to that a nurse had seen me going into other patients' rooms and that that was a health threat and security issue at the hospital. And at first, I was very um, taken back by it and starting to be defensive, uh, tell them that's not true. I, why would anyone say something that crazy? And then I realized, you know, well, they have a camera in my husband's room, so I assume all the rooms do. They have cameras all down the hallway. You have to be buzzed in to get into the ICU. So I figured, no, they know, of course, I did not do that. So what she was trying to say without saying it was that if you don't be quiet, I'm going to then... Uh, you say, if you don't be quiet and sit down and forget our, stop talking about our protocols, then uh, I'm going to use that so you can't see your husband again. The hallmark of a totalitarian regime, right? Right. Make up charges. So continue, please. Uh, so then uh, he, um, 
I then knew that I was on my own trying to find a way to save my husband. I had called the patient relations of the hospital, and she had told me that if I found a physician willing to give ivermectin, that they would stand by it and protect their jobs, because that was the biggest hiccup, is that most physicians worried about their jobs if they went against protocol. Uh, so then I was on a mission to find someone. Did that have to be a Beaumont system doctor, or could that have been a frontline doctor? Nope, she told me they had to be Beaumont affiliated. Hmm, wow. I, bet, I wonder if that person still works. But continue, please. <laughs> so I uh, I went on a mission trying to find a, a person. Uh, I had one doctor tell me that he would do it, but he was worried that he wouldn't have no support. And he didn't know what the policy said against it, if he would lose his job, if it broke policy. Uh, so he was looking into the policy thing and I just started making phone calls asking people, who do you know as a doctor that might do this? Give me names, start giving me names. And I started making phone calls daily trying to find someone to support that doctor. Uh, a lot of no's, more no's than yeses, but I did end up finding, um, I did end up finding three other doctors, or three total three doctors inside the Beaumont facility that were willing to do it. And they all backed up this doctor. Even the nurses even stopped me in the hall to surround me to tell me that they fully supported me trying to fight for my husband. One of them even printed up uh, documents on the effects of ivermectin helping patients, told me to give this to a doctor if any doctor had um, any questions or tried to debate me. Uh, then I had them just like surround me and, and put, put their hands on me and tell me they had my back in this. And when the doctor, when I presented the names to the doctor and said, all these names of these doctors support you and will stand behind you, he got excited and said, well, I'm going to make a few phone calls. I'll be right back. And even the nurses surrounded that doctor and said, we have your back in this. You need to do this for her. And uh, he made some calls, I guess, to verify. And he came into the room and said, this doctor's on board. This doctor's on board. That's good enough for me. Let's do this. I'm, this is, that's some serious detective work. I mean, <laughs> how do you find doctors in the Beaumont system that are willing to do this? Was like, were there like some sympathetic people that said, well, try this guy. I think he's, I think he's okay. Or, or did you get lead? How did you get these leads? I'm not trying to, not trying to get you to divulge sources or to out <laughs> anybody, but Man, that's good. Yeah, you know, uh, nothing like a, a wife trying to save her husband and going into like a mission mode. Uh, plus, I prayed on it a lot. I kept asking God to lead me to the right people. And one of the nurses actually was the one that recommended the uh, one doctor that first said he would, but he needed that support. And he found that there was no policies in place that says they can't give that, which is the craziest thing is that everyone is fearful of breaking policy and obeying policy that doesn't exist. There is nothing in writing that says that they cannot give ivermectin. In fact, the NIH even says that uh, that these protocols shouldn't even be mandatory, that they should always be the full discretion between the patient and their provider. And Beaumont itself says that the patient has the right to choose who their doctor is and their care. And when I told that to the um, patient relations before, they told me, well, that's up for debate. So their, their own rules for the patients are up for debate. Yeah, I mean, when we think of the way that medicine has claimed to have gone so uh, patient friendly and you are part of your solution. I mean, we've heard this, you know, I talked to my, my I've observed my wife's health condition for quite a long time. And um, 
I saw some stuff and I was talking to her doctor one day about it. And he says, wow, you know, I, if you were 10 years younger, I'd give you a fellowship. He was willing to listen to input, you know. Now, fortunately, she's been seizure-free for four years now. Thank you, Jesus. It wasn't because of my input. But nonetheless, doctors who are willing to listen, they want to hear what you have to say uh, as part of the solution because you know yourself best or you know your spouse best. But in your case, it was one size fits all, right? Right. So now your your husband's on the vent and we've got a couple calls and we'll get to you guys in a few minutes. Um, and so you got ivermectin? Yes, uh, we got the ivermectin. Uh, the pharmacy tried to withhold it from the doctor's orders. The doctor had ordered it to be given around seven at night. First, the pharmacy tried to withhold it and get the administrators to uh, deny it. Uh, the nurse had called down and said, when did we start that policy where we start to go against what the doctor's orders are? Uh, and we had to get the chief of staff involved. And the chief of staff had called the pharmacy and told me better bring it up to the doc to the patient within the next 30 minutes uh, that he was in charge that night. And then he made that call to make them bring that up. So they brought it up and it was administered uh, at nine o'clock. And in less than 24 hours, my yeah. husband blood gas level had went from a 64% to 100%. He was starting to go making improvements and he was steadily making improvements coming off the vent need. Uh, and he was, uh, the doctor was going to bump it from a five day run to, a, to give it another five days. So a total of 10 days because he was responding so well to it. Uh, but then sadly, after the fourth dose was ready to be given, another doctor stepped in uh, from the infectious disease department and revoked his order, took it away from him, and then she signed herself off of his case. And she did not tell me that she was going to do that. There was no uh, transparency whatsoever. Uh, and she just had wrote it up that the doctor was giving horse pills, even though it came from a pharmacy and it was a human dose of ivermectin. Wow. You know, I was telling during the break, my wife and I both came up with uh, COVID and I believe it was the Omicron variety because of the way it worked. But, you know, I went into panic mode at first. And I was talking to Theron, the station owner. How do I get monoclonal therapy? And then I figured out how to do that. And uh, then we got it to her. And then we found uh, we found a doctor in Troy and um, through a friend of mine. Oh, I just, actually, I think it was through Theron's show. I can't remember now. But anyways, uh and then they had a PA write us a prescription for ivermectin and some other, uh, you know, the zinc and the uh, the Z-pack and all that stuff. And so we took the ivermectin. But man, seeing that it's not under pharmacy issue and it's not covered by insurance and it had to be hand compounded, which mm -hmm. meant that they didn't have it on the shelf in a bottle. They had to make it. It cost my wife $100 for her dosage and myself $150 for mine. And uh, whereas uh, actually I had bought a tube of horse paste <laughs> just in case for $25. <laughs> and I tell you, it tastes well with honey on a cracker. It's no problem at all. No, no, no. You never even notice it. But yeah, everybody tells you you're going to die. You're going to die. Uh, until I got the medicine, I did not want to die. And uh, I know too many people have done the horse pace, but it's funny. They should call it a horse bill after the whole Joe Rogan thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or the, all the all the people dying in that hospital in Nebraska or wherever it was from taking horse pace, which never happened. So 
<sighs> Glad we went down there. So um, your husband then, I'm, I'm sad to have to make you recount these events for us, but you want the story out there because you have a, a give, send, go regarding this and you have something you're trying to get go going, a, a Ryan's law to stop this nonsense from happening, right? Yes. So we'll get into that in a couple of minutes and we'll take a couple of calls, but uh, finish telling us about Ryan and what uh, happened with him. So after his ivermectin was revoked, he started to go back downhill. Uh, he began to need the vent 100%. His uh, pulse ox was starting to decline, blood oxygen levels declining. Uh, and at one point I come in to the hospital and I find him sweating profusely all over without a fever. And uh, the nurse that was there wouldn't give me any answers as to what was happening. And his pulse ox was dropping. It was getting into the mid 80s and I was getting very concerned. So I called the doctor who ordered the ivermectin and I gave him his symptoms. And he told me to hand the phone over to the nurse in the room. And when she got the phone, he said my husband was going through a cytokine storm, which means his body was starting to attack itself. And that he was going to, uh, if we didn't do something really quick, that we would lose him that night. So he gave him a steroid nine times the strength of anything he was ever given. In fact, he told me this is something he should have been given at the start when he came in. Uh, and he uh, said that this was the attempt to save him and bring him through it. And I sat by my husband's bedside for 17 hours straight waiting for him to recover. And he did pull through and got it. He got his pulse back up um, or his heart, uh, oxygen level back up and everything was getting back to being normal. And so I left for four hours to go get, um, to go feed my pets because I was gone for so long. And I, I felt like I could trust the nurse that was there because she had 40 years experience in the ICU. And uh, so I went to go leave for a little bit. And like any family that tells her story, things always happen once you leave. I don't know what it is, but as soon as the visiting hours are done or whatever, that's when changes happen. So I left for a few hours and the ICU doctor that was in charge uh, decided to take my husband off of the steroid because he said it's not protocol and that the doc that wasn't the other doctor's patient. Uh, so uh, the patient, the doctor who put him on it went to bat for him and said, if you take him off of this drug, he's going to die. The guy took it, ICU doctor took it as a threat and said, are you threatening me? I'm going to report you to the legal department. Uh, so I quickly got on the phone again with the chief of staff and I had told him that I want that ICU doctor removed from my husband's care effective immediately, that I feared for my husband's safety. I didn't want him anywhere in my husband's room to not allow him to go anywhere near my husband. And I needed that other doctor back on in the same uh, high dose steroid to put back on. And by the time that we were able to fix the situation, because uh, the ICU doctor did concede off my husband's case, whatever was said between him and the chief of staff. Um, and then by the time we got everything back on, my husband's blood oxygen dropped to 40%. And uh, he was, he, by 24 hours later, my, uh, I was getting the call from the doctor that I trusted. And he said, you need to come up here. I think we're losing Ryan. So I, got a hold of his family and we all went up there and I played our wedding song for him one more time and I told I'm him sorry. That, I told him that uh I needed I told him to go ahead and go home and be with Jesus and that I my battle for him would not stop even after today um 
So I knew he wasn't wanting to ever leave me. And, you know, we were a strong marriage. And I said that we were being ripped apart. It wasn't by our choice to be separated. Uh, There's all this evil in this world that was separating us. And I couldn't stop it. And uh, I just laid my hands on him and prayed over him. And I felt bad. I felt like I just, I tried so hard and got so close, but I just couldn't save him. You did everything, everything you possibly could. You were courageous. You went to battle for your husband. You stood up to him. You stood up to the doctors. You have no room for recrimination. You know that, right? None whatsoever. It wasn't you that did this. It wasn't him that did this. There was a hospital system that did this. There's just no two ways about this. It was a hospital system that did this. Now you have um, you have a legal battle going on. You have costs coming up, and you have a, a, a give send go. And yeah. um, I set go that ahead. up. Uh, set that up just to even help me through all my uh, every bills that I'm taking on on my own now and trying to get through everything by myself. I relied on my husband for a lot. And now I'm on my own. Um, and I'm also trying to uh, uh, find uh, good attorneys that will help me fight this. I want to be able to create Ryan's Law that um, will help stop this from happening to anybody else. There needs to be a way to hold these people accountable when they do that. And right now they have, um, from the CARES Act, the doctors and uh, nurses have a lot of liability protection against anything that has the word COVID attached to it. And it's basically, as one attorney had told me, it's like giving them a license to kill. Um, you know, everything is about money. It's all money driven. And there has to be a way that people will hold people accountable for when they're doing something. They intentionally took something away that was helping just to follow protocol. It's on Give, Send, Go, Ryan's, help Ryan's uh, fight for truth. Okay, and you will find that on my timeline on Facebook if if you want any other way of getting there. It's a top post. I'm really kind of surprised it stayed there because a lot of give, send, go is getting kicked off. Uh, my friend, uh, Fireman Tim, has a give, send, go uh, when he got booted off the Ann Arbor Fire Department after almost like 20-some years being a fire inspector for not taking the vax. Now, he's got a legal fight going on, uh, give, send, go, Fireman Tim. But I can't post that on Facebook for some reason. Facebook is bouncing them off, probably due to the uh, Ottawa truckers. Uh, we have a mutual friend, Alex Wassel, who uh, brought you to my attention. Well, I'd like to take a call from Alex. Alex? Uh, hi, Ed, and hi, Stacy. Uh, first of all, I want to thank Ed for, for uh, getting you on, and Stacy for what a courageous battle you fought. Um, I, I think maybe we could contact people we know that had experience in the Michigan legislature to help move that uh, that idea of uh, Ryan's Law along. Um, Pat Colbeck, uh, maybe. Pat Colbeck, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure he knows a lot of people still up there that would would be willing to help Stacy in her fight. And the only other point I want to make is that regardless of, of how hard you you work and, and fight for your, your rights, you have the hospital systems are being paid to administer remdesivir and vent people. And actually, I, I think they also get paid a bonus when patients die with COVID. I yeah. mean, it's just unbelievable that it's happening in our country today. And I just want to thank Stacy again for all, everything she's done. And we will all try to help her as much as we can. All right. 
Thanks for calling in, Alex. I appreciate that. Now we have the obligatory Joe Leonard call. Joe from Wyandotte. Hey, Joe, you there? Yes, I am. First, Stacy, I am so sorry for your loss. And this is clearly a wrongful death. And I hope you do pursue a case. And this begs uh, the warning to all. You must have a legal, notarized power of attorney, not for financials, but for medical control over a loved one's situation. And you have to have an advanced directive notarized that spells out your desires, including Noven. And you need to, unfortunately, we all need to take the precaution now of filming when we go into the hospital that we hand these papers to the receptionist before we ever sign any of their forms. And this is just mind-boggling, the number of stories. And again, I, I know several people whose families went through this and fighting, and they ignore the power of attorney. They ignore the advanced directives, as your story shows. Yeah. Well, thanks, Joe. Thanks for that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's it's hard to think of like you don't think of these things and like I don't want a no vent policy, you know, a blanket no vent policy because hey, I might get something that I need to be vented for. It's that's not COVID, and yet who knows what to write. But having in your case, though, it seems like you guys were very clear: do not do this, do not do that, and they totally even your husband. Your husband doesn't need power of attorney over himself, right? He clearly gave directions of what he did and didn't want, it seems, and yet they still did what they wanted to do. And, you know, I, I hate to make a macro out of this micro, but it, it leads to the uh, the administrative state that we face in this country, where it's the experts that do everything, that say everything, that uh, uh, rule everything, and don't listen to the people that are involved. And so these these people set themselves up as minor despots and as such, they think they know better than you, and yet you go in there fully informed and you know what you want. Now, of course, I don't want, if I was a doctor, I don't want somebody coming in and saying, well, just sprinkle this purple dust all over and let them smoke a doobie and, and it'll be all fine. You know what I mean? But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about science. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, once again, that's uh, uh, Give, Send, Go, Help Ryan's. Uh, Ryan's Fight for Truth. You can find it there. Please support her. Let's pray right now. Father, I pray for Stacy right now. I pray that you would give her the strength she needs in this battle, that you give her the resources, that you'd bring people to stand by her side to help her in this fight, not just for her husband, for other people's husbands, and that justice would be done, that justice would be done, that people would be brought to account for what they've done to us. Now, I ask you this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know if Derek's taking a phone call for the show because really we don't have enough time for that since we start the music in about 50 seconds. So you've got about 30 seconds left to make a closing statement. I'm going to put the onus on you, Stacey, so I don't have to keep talking. Um, I guess if there's anyone out there that can help legally, they want to uh, contact me, they can contact me through uh, Ryan's fight at protonmail.com. Uh, just in case there's anyone else that thinks that they could help me either find a way to get Ryan's law established, uh, get 
uh, my voice out to other stations, other people, uh, many people that I can tell this to, I will, and uh, to help me um, be able to get justice for Ryan. Excellent. All right. And uh, folks, if you didn't get that, then go to my Facebook timeline. You know where that is. And it's there. Leave me a comment or a message and I'll get you the information you need. I'll put you in touch with Stacy here. We've got to fight this battle. We've got to stand up. Thanks again for joining us on Your American Heritage with my guest, Stacey Ogransik, and uh, fight for Ryan. And join us next week and stay tuned for a moment of clarity. America, bless God.